Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, the, the main texts for the sermon are the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 16, 1 to, I forget what that, where it ends, 9 I believe, but, and then the Gospel, Luke 18, 31 to 45. Valentine's Day was five days ago. So today, we're going to consider a biblical concept of blind love. Pastors pointed out that Septuagesima Sunday, two weeks ago, had a message or an emphasis or a focus on grace alone. And then Sextuagesima Sunday, last Sunday, had a message about scripture alone. So today, we'll consider faith alone, but because of the nature of the text in our lessons today, kind of the words and my theme, I'm going to call it blind faith. So it might surprise you that I've entitled the sermon, Blind Love and Blind Faith. A topic in today's gospel lesson is blindness. In the Old Testament lesson, it's the message that God doesn't see the way man sees. Unfortunately, most of the time, or much of the time anyway, man doesn't see the way, things the way God sees them either. And there's some irony here. The events recorded in the gospel lesson were taking place just a couple of days before Palm Sunday. Jesus was going to be entering Jericho. But before they got there, Jesus took the twelve aside, away from everybody else. And he told them again that in Jerusalem he will be crucified and three days later rise from the dead. It's helpful to note this because the twelve have been with Jesus for the last three years. And if anyone should know Jesus, it's the apostles. And yet, out of everyone along that road, including the disciples and the apostles, the blind man is the only one who truly sees Jesus, who recognizes Jesus for who he really is, the promised son of David, which was a title for the Messiah. Nobody else, including the apostles, saw Jesus the way the faithful blind man saw Jesus. I think that's a little ironic, at least in word-wise. But I'd like to make a brief comment about Luke 18.34, the, the paragraph about the, the twelve. It says, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. The statement, this saying was hidden from them, suggests that God hid it from them. But one of our Lutheran commentaries says that the statement emphasizes their ignorance by hinting at something that hid the true meaning of Jesus, Jesus' words from them, namely, 
their own preconceived ideas about the coming glorious victory and reign of the Messiah on earth. And they weren't the only ones. Most of the Jews had those preconceived ideas that the Messiah was going to free them from Rome. It was going to be a political thing, a, an earthly kingdom. And that, those preconceived ideas is what hid the real meaning of Jesus' words from the twelve. But Jesus told them about his crucifixion, death, and resurrection at least three times, knowing that they wouldn't understand it, but also knowing that after his resurrection, they would remember that he had said those things, and then their hearts would be helped or strengthened to believe his word. But on the event recorded in our gospel lesson, they didn't understand. They were spiritually blind, while the man who was physically blind spiritually saw Jesus with a faith that could only come about through hearing, hearing the word of Jesus. On the mountain of transfiguration, the father had said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. It appears that the blind man had listened to him, actually. So the irony of the gospel lesson is that the blind man saw the Messiah in Jesus. Now in the Old Testament lesson, God makes it clear that he doesn't see things the way man sees things. 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Old Testament lesson is an account of Samuel trying to follow the instructions God had given him. God had told Samuel to fill his horn, which meant he was going to anoint someone. And God actually told him he was going to anoint a king to replace Saul and go to Bethlehem because from the sons of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, God would provide himself a king to replace Saul. So Samuel set out to follow God's instructions. But he did so. This is not a judgment of Samuel. Really, it would be a judgment of all of us. But he did so in the typical, normal, human way. He started with the firstborn son. That's who normally would get, be the king, you know, be the heir. But, as I read in verse 7, the Lord rejected Eliab. Eliab was the firstborn son. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. But Samuel tried all the other sons of whom Jesse had brought and God rejected them all. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. The Hebrew word translated youngest here can also mean smallest. Now, 
which one is correct isn't black and white. But since King Saul in 1 Samuel 10 had been described as being taller than any other person, head and shoulders taller than anyone else, and Eliab in our verse 7, you know, God says, don't look upon his uh, appearance or the stature of his height. So the, the tallness was specifically mentioned in both, for both King Saul and for Eliab, the eldest son. And maybe the, the uh, writer intended the meaning smallest instead of youngest to fit in with the message that it, you know, it's, the outward appearance is not what's important here. Uh, and God did a lot of things the way we don't, we wouldn't do things. So he picked the smallest, and if, if, even if it was the youngest, he was the youngest. And that wasn't the normal way of doing things, of replacing, uh, picking a king. But we also have, you know, he said God looks on the heart. Well, there are some comments about David's heart. Acts 13, 21 and 22 says, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. We could easily focus on how we are guilty of all of these very things that the lessons teach, teach against. But instead, I'd like to focus on God. The reason is God is the one who gives the gift of faith to the blind man so that he is able to so clearly see and know Jesus even when everybody else doesn't. God is the one who sees the heart. God is the one who doesn't see things the way man sees things. God is the one who gives us the gift of faith so that we can see Christ and his means of grace so clearly. Even in the midst of things going on in our country and actually in the whole world that tempt us to think maybe God really isn't on top of all things. Maybe God really isn't in control. But he gives us the gift of faith so that we don't always, at least not always, see things the way man in all his fear and arrogance and false wisdom sees things. For example, in John 1.29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The word behold in, in our English translations and in our common, I think, reading practices, it's easy to skip over. It means listen up. It, it always, whenever I read anything written about this, it reminds me of the prof I had for the Gospel of Luke in the seminary. The Greek word is edu. And uh, he was just trying to impress on us, you know, there's a, it's not a meaningless word. It do, it means, we translate it, behold, it means, listen up, pay attention. 
I mean, he would say it that way, you know, wake up, and you guys, wake up. So listen up, and you will see. See, everyone's been blind except for the blind man. Faith comes through hearing. When we've been given faith, the question of how to solve our sin problem goes away. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is the solution when seen in faith. That solution becomes fact. The question is gone now. It's just a fact. And it's a glorious, comforting, Christ-centered fact. Even in the midst of all the fear and darkness and blindness and sickness and anger, here in God's promise of redemption, here he is in the flesh. Faith sees what the flesh, blinded by sin, is unable to see. Faith just sees things differently. Here in Christ on the cross is God's wrath against your sin, my sin, and all sin, poured out on him instead of us. More importantly, here in Christ is your victory, your peace, and your salvation. But he is beaten, bloodied, and nailed to a tree to die for us in our place. Here in Christ is perfect obedience, perfect humility, and perfect love. In our time, the way love is celebrated on Valentine's Day is usually celebrating romantic love or some version of that. But look to this cross. Here is a true and perfect blind love. The Father is blind to our sins because of the love that the Son demonstrated on the cross. Hallmark will never be able to come close to that kind of perfect love. There isn't a couple on earth who even comes close to that kind of love that your Lord had and has for you. Not even mom has this kind of perfect, blind, and unconditional love. When your Lord looks to you as a baptized child of Christ, he doesn't see all your wretched sin. Looking at you through the lens of Christ and his sacrificial wounds, which you have been baptized into, he only sees one who is who is completely covered over in Christ's perfect righteousness. Are you a sinner who deserves nothing but present and eternal punishment, as we confess at the beginning of the, the third setting? 
Yes. And yet, with a love so incomprehensible, a love so deep that he was willing to sacrifice himself, willing to suffer God's hellish and righteous wrath for you in your place, a love so blind and perfect and unconditional, he gives you unconditionally the gift of himself, his mercy, his grace, his blood-bought forgiveness, his peace. How can we be so sure of all this? Jesus says so. This is where faith, faith focuses, nowhere else. Here and here alone in our redemption. Here is the Son of God, the very Son of God we are to look to, listen to, and hold fast to. We're to do all those always, all the time, in every time, every place, every circumstance. Here is the Son of God lifted up and exalted for the whole world to see and know just how much God hates sin and yet loves sinners. It is finished. Here is where we hear victory. Even though our old Adam, our old nature, senses with the rest of the world nothing but death and defeat. Here is where the faith that comes through hearing Christ rejoices. It is finished. In the word written, spoken, and, and incarnate, in the Lord's Supper, and in baptism, you have Christus Victor, the Latin phrase meaning Christ the victor, or Christ the conqueror, you have him in your very presence, in those sacraments and in his word. Even in the midst of all the fear and tyranny and plague and pandemics and wars and rumors of wars, Christ the conqueror holding out to you his free and unmerited gifts of grace, mercy, and peace. I know they don't look like much. To the rest of the world, some Christians included, unfortunately, these are nothing more than empty symbols or just options or perks, a feel-good benefit of attending worship on Sunday morning but not really all that important or necessary in those people's opinions. That's all they see. But faith knows different. Faith sees differently. Faith sees differently because faith hears and believes what Christ has already said about such things, the sacraments and his word. Baptism saves you. You have been baptized into my death and my resurrection, Romans 6. Baptism saves you, 1 Peter 3. Take and eat, take and drink. This is my body and my blood, 
given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sin. As often as you do this, remember what I have said. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our Christ-centered reality. This is our reality. In other words, the people who think they're symbols and so forth, they don't have the reality of them giving forgiveness of sins. How can you not cry out the way the blind man did to Jesus? Uh, May God, through the working of his Holy Spirit, in these means of grace, open our ears, open our hearts, and open our minds so that the, the eyes of faith may not only see, but actually seek and hold fast to Christ. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.